Hello, welcome to the Dub D Dub Review, and I'm your host, Chris Malik, and I'm joined by my good friend, Michael Black. Michael, how are you? Doing fantastic this morning, Chris. Outstanding. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Stacy's in Florida for the marathon weekend, completing the Dopey Challenge. Uh, so, uh, you know, everything about that trip sounds really, really cool, except for the running. So we're we're just gonna leave, <laughs> we're just gonna leave it like that. And uh, you know, Peter's still very, very busy. But we, we caught a picture yesterday of Pete with his dub shirt and Stacy at Epcot. God love them; they're down there having a good time. So that's awesome. And I drafted you to join today for multiple reasons. You, my friend, are with Theme Park Brothers, the official purveyor of all videos regarding trip reports and whatnot between you and I. (laughs) So I uploaded video to you of my recent trip to Disneyland Paris and the city of Paris. And it consisted of how many videos did I upload for you? Uh, it was over a hundred, I'm pretty sure. A <laughs> hundred videos, ranging from a few seconds to like four or five minutes at a pop. And I think my words to you were, good luck figuring this one out. So I think you needed some context to what those videos were. So we're going to do a trip report today. And I usually don't like, I love talking to people about their stories. I don't usually like telling my stories, though, obviously, I never shut up, so I'm a talker at heart, but this was really cool. This was a really unique trip, and there's a lot of good information I can give people about traveling overseas and Disneyland Paris if they're curious. Before we begin today, I wanted to go and uh, throw it back to you because we always try to start the show off in a positive light. So tell me, what do you got going on? What's good in your life before we start? Well, I'll tell you, it has been a trying beginning of the year, I will will have to say, but um, I'm pulling some good out of the bad, let's say. Um, I think all the time we, we face these hurdles and these battles that we go against, but I think that's a great time to kind of look at the good things that are going on. Um, I had started a, uh, a new job with Publix, which is one of my favorite places in the world cool. down here. Cool. Um, so I started working there. Um, they welcomed me in with open arms. It's been kind of a seamless transition for me because of my background in grocery and retail. Um, it's one of those things to where you just kind of hit the ground running. You don't have to go through a lot of training and you feel like you're contributing right away. Okay. So that's good. Um, I did have, and me and you had talked about this prior, I did have the opportunity to possibly go back to Disney um, as a cast member. Uh, I decided against it. Um, It was something that I think would have brought on more stress and wouldn't have enabled me to focus on the job that I do currently love. Um, It, I'm going to be in all honesty, it probably just would have been me trying to get certain perks and that's not a way to enter a job. So um, we're moving past that, Um, but I'm enjoying the job. I have, begun tackling my anxiety issues. This is going to be a good 2020. Uh, Me and Christina have talked about kind of shying away from the theme parks a bit in our vacation this summer uh, and kind of hitting on some historical places and some things we've never seen before. We're even talking Boston, Philadelphia, even going up back up to Canada and to Quebec and kind of exploring more out of our comfort zone. 
so those are the things I'm excited about for you know, 2020. You know, that's a perfect tie-in and topic to the show today because we have found when we take like vacations that combine three or four theme parks, that at the end of it, you're, it, they become a blur. And it's nice to actually put your hands on something tangible, kind of like what we're going to talk about today. Like this was a different kind of vacation. It was history meets something that kids could also enjoy. So excellent there. The, your anxiety issue is well documented. You have a, uh, a blog for it, right? You, you're, you're trying to work through that uh, through some creative writing and some time where you can just develop that. Is that right? Yeah, it's called the uh, Anxiety Driven Life. And it's just my efforts to try to just uh, write when I can. It, I wanted it to be daily. But again, then that puts pressure and more anxiety. So it's kind of just a free flowing. <laughs> when the ideas come, we write. Um, and you know, Hey, it's great if I don't have a topic, you know, if I have a topic, it means there's something I need to work through. But if there is a day that I skip, it's either a, it's a good day. And maybe I have nothing to really focus on or write on, or maybe I have too much going on in life to even sit down and write. Yeah. But it is an outlet to get out some of the things that may be on my mind. So it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't affect my everyday life. So I was going to bust out to some coffee talk right now, but Peter Panacorvo can do that Saturday Night Live skit like no one's business, so I'm not going to even disrespect it. <laughs> no uh, big whoop. Right? Um, so let me just give you two cents on this because you didn't ask me for it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. If you're an adult, you are overloaded with responsibilities and everyone's got anxiety, whether you say you've got it or you don't. You do. You just don't have... Um, how can I say this? Like, there's various levels of it. You've got it, yeah. guaranteed. So it's a matter of how you deal with it. Some people like to write. Some people like to uh, binge Netflix. Some people like to run. Um, everyone's got it. It's just a matter of how you deal with it. So kudos to you. It can be, you know, I, I know personally, it can be paralyzing. It can be, it can be a bunch of things that just lead to, to really to a lot of harm and 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 hesitation in your life. So awesome. So couldn't be prouder for you for all of those things. You ready to learn a little bit about uh, history and art and European culture and theme parks and Disney all together, buddy? Awesome. I'm, I'm ready to hear about Paris now. I'm all right. Sure. <laughs> so, so I'm going to try and do this as concisely as possible because there's a lot of information I want to give out. But I realize that I also... I, I, I fully admit I'm a talker, and so when like the train starts going down the track, sometimes the engineer falls asleep. So when I start rolling or get into like micro machine man mode, and I'm like spitting out information, if this rolls long, this very well could be two shows. So uh, if there's something I say and you you know you want further information contact me so i'm gonna give it out right now so the wdw review facebook page or join our facebook group it's a group of like i don't want to say listeners because it's really they're like 350 of my best friends and we communicate about everything trips and 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 further information and the goofiest stuff like uh candy and and like it, it's it's a Disney group unlike any other that I'm part of, and I'm part of a bunch of Disney groups, so I couldn't be prouder. Edcott, E-D-C-O-T, or the WW Review Facebook page. Um, so, here we go. So, do you have a PBS like channel down in Florida, Michael, like public broadcasting? Do you have anything like that down there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, are you familiar with travels, you know, Rick Steves travels with to Europe or Rudy Maxa or Burt Rolf or any of the travel like 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 writers that do TV shows for PBS? I, I'm really not, but 
Okay, no problem. Okay. So the biggest, those are the biggest three. Rick Steves is huge. He's got podcasts. He's a well-known PBS like travel writer, blogger, vlogger. Um, Rudy Maxa and Burt Wolf uh, are kind of moving out, and they're getting a little older, and they haven't had as many recent videos, but they're very good. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved the idea of traveling to Europe. It seems so exotic to me. Like, you know, you live in America, and like you're fun trip is going to Walt Disney World from wherever you live and you come back. But in the back of your mind, you know it was a vacation, but it it was like you're experiencing things, but you weren't like seeing like the world as it is and like you're expanding your horizon. So I've always loved the idea of Europe. And like you're always like the gateway entry for like Americans is like like London or like England because they speak English. But yet it's a little different. They drive on the other side of the road and they serve their beer at room temperature and it's just a little different. But you quickly watch these programs on PBS and you're like, I need to see that. I want to see what French culture is like. I want to see what Italian culture is like, what Spanish culture is like. I need to see that in my lifetime. So like a lot of people say, it's on my bucket list. Well, I never really had a bucket list. I always had a list. I refuse to say it's going to be something I do before I die. I'm going to do it. It's a matter of when, and it's not going to be a bucket list. But I've always loved the idea of traveling to Paris and, and London and Rome and, and Athens and Berlin. And, and I want to travel to Moscow. I have, like, I love the idea of traveling. So, anyways... 15 years ago, my wife and I make our first trip, London and Paris, split trip, like four days at each. And it absolutely like captured my imagination and it was wonderful. So we knew when we had kids, we were going to come back, but reality sets in dude. And you realize when you start tabling up that like, like uh, tabulating the cost of five round trip airfares from Chicago to anywhere, like, Mm. like the boom gets levied on you. So the minimum you're looking at is like Chicago to like, London or Paris is like $3,500 round trip. And that's like not taking like a 38 hour layover and like you're flying like United and you're, I mean, you realize you're paying luggage fees. So you just got to accept that as part of the experience. So we looked at the map and we were like, where can we go and entertain the kids? Well, obviously we got the WW review. We're a Disney podcast and in Paris, France, there is a Disneyland Paris, Euro Disney, um, it's what it used to be called, theme park. So we were like, great. So we don't beat up the kids with like the sights of Europe, which are going to be foreign to them. We can intermix like the Disney experience there. Plus, we've been to Disneyland Paris, but that was 15 years ago and my memories fade. You know, I, I don't have many memories of it. Perfect. Let's book the trip, right? So we're excited. Have you ever wanted to go to see Disneyland Paris? Has it crossed your list of things to do, buddy? Uh, it it has. It's probably about third. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I really want to go to Shanghai, mm-hmm. but I think Disneyland Paris is probably the more attainable. So yeah, it's definitely on the list, and I think for that reason more so is that I believe it's more attainable for us than going to Shanghai or or Tokyo Disney. Great, so. great point. It is attainable, and especially from Florida, like your flight travel time if you could fly direct or even if you flew into madrid and then madrid to paris you're looking at probably like a 10-hour experience from like start to finish including tsa and transfers and all that stuff um for you to get to shanghai or 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 tokyo or or hong kong that's like oh yeah like 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 life-altering 24-hour travel time and let me just tell you that traveling on a plane for like a 14-hour experience from start to finish 
it beats you up in ways you can't possibly imagine. And this is firsthand experience. So anyways, we'll get to that in a little bit. Traveling to Europe, we're all excited about it. And our first question is, we got a 14-year-olds, we got two 14-year-olds and a 7-year-old. What happens if someone gets sick and you're in Europe? Right? So we're thinking about all cases. And you know that I'm not a planner. I like to just, I'm going to make my reservations at Walt Disney World six weeks from now. I'm getting on a plane. I'm going. I got no fast passes, no reservations. We're going to take it as it comes, and we're going to enjoy ourselves. In Paris, you would be crushed by planning like that. So outside of my comfort zone, I had to put together like spreadsheets and make like notes on things because everything requires like huge planning. You simply can't go unless you're going to stay in hostels and backpack around Paris, which is cool. If you're 18 to like 30, but when you're 44 and you got three kids with you, that doesn't work. You know, you cannot do that. That is simply not responsible. So you've got to make your plans. So we did a little bit of legwork ahead of time, watched YouTube videos. I'm going to recommend a few YouTubers right now, which really helped us. Go and check out Walter's World, W-O-L-T-E-R-S World. His name is Mark Walter. He's an American that traveled to everywhere in Europe and he's got we we really like him you watch Walter's lot. world oh yeah yeah we Christina does she really loves the whole traveling thing and planning I'm more like until we have the money to do it I don't want to see it but Christina's like nope we're gonna do it and I'm gonna watch it until we do and so she's yeah, got a, we watch them she's got a travel blog too right you travel blog right E-travel bug. Yeah, yeah. She's getting back into that, which is awesome. Awesome. So check out Walter's World. That really, really helps. Or even just do a search for like wherever you're going to travel. Athens attractions. Like in our case, it was Paris attractions, Paris family attractions, Paris crime. We checked that out to figure out what the environment was like. Um, And then once we were comfortable with it, we were like, okay, we can do this. Where are we going to stay? Expedia, search, hotels, and you realize every hotel in Paris is like $400 a night. And you're like, dang, I'm renting a studio for like $400. And by the way, the currency in Europe is euros. So you're looking at euros. And the actual like, uh, it's an approximation when this comes out, it might change. But like if it's a dollar, it's worth like 85 cents. So like it costs more. The, the, The conversion rate, the dollar isn't as strong as the euro. So, but it, it it's $400 per night to stay in a hotel. And you're like, I cannot do that when I'm staying in a studio. If I put my family together in a studio for eight nights, like legitimately, I'm going to kill somebody. I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to go nuts. My hair is going to fall out. We can't do that. So we experienced Airbnb for our first time. Have you ever stayed at Airbnb? No, no, never experienced that. Why? Do you have a reason? Is it staying in someone's house? Is it is there a particular reason or just never searched? Uh, we stay in extremely cheap hotels to the point to where the Airbnb would be more expensive than the places we stay. Okay. So, you know what I mean? And and we, we stay in very tight quarters and I'm, that's never an issue for us. So I'm going to tell you one thing that's going to blow your mind right now. And don't mean it to be like snarky. You're wrong. Go download the Airbnb app. Pick out a place you're going to travel and search, and you're going to have your mind blown over the prices of these things. So just as an example, I live in Park Ridge, which is a western suburb of Chicago, and I lived in Chicago for 30 years. When we started off, we wanted to see what that was like. And like a one-bedroom condo in the nearby O'Hare area, which is where the planes would land, right next to the blue line to get downtown is like $63 per night. And that's Airbnb. So 
it, it, it's possible to find it as cheap as that. So anyways, we're like, okay, let's check out Airbnb to see what options there are in Paris. And Paris is set out. It's not like a grid, north, south, east, west. When they set Paris's grid out, it was unique, and it all centered around the middle of the city. So Paris is uh, uh, divided into neighborhoods, and they're called arrondissements. So like, you start off with the city with one, two, and then it spreads out kind of on a circular fashion, getting to the borders of the city in like the 17th, 18th, 19th arrondissement. So you really want to kind of stay in the middle of the city. Great. We got our search parameters. Where are we going to stay? You figure out that like the stuff in the city is more expensive than the stuff in the suburbs. But obviously, because you're closer to everything, we were able to find this one location. It ended up being $140 per night plus taxes. It ended up being a little under $170 per night for a one-bedroom apartment with washer, dryer, stove, fridge, uh, microwave, freezer, uh, like a 40 inch TV and it could sleep five people in a fold out couch in a Murphy bed and a separate one bedroom. So like less than half the cost. So I can't recommend Airbnb enough. Our concern was we're staying in someone's apartment. Is this sketchy? Like, like what is, is it going to be clean? Is it not? What's the neighborhood's going to be like? So there's review section. Check out like the reviews and go and look and find somebody that's been rented like 400 times, 500 times. If they have good reviews, they're not going to be wrong if they've been rented that many times. And Airbnb qualifies their people. They've got to meet a number of specifications and criteria. And if you get bad reviews on Airbnb, like Uber and like Lyft, they're going to just restrict your ability to go and operate. So you've got to be a respectable person to actually operate on those things. I'm not going to give the address now, but if you're traveling to Paris and you want to know where I stayed, send me a direct message or like find us on like the, the group. I couldn't recommend it high enough so much that if I was traveling next week, if you and I were going for like a blogging trip, which is like, you know, I mean, we're trying to get video. I would only call this dude for the location for the price, for the safety, for the cleanliness, for the security, like I couldn't recommend it highly enough. It was a great experience. And I told him, I was like, we're landing early. Can we check in? He goes, unfortunately, no. He goes, the person is leaving at 11. My cleaning lady comes over by 12. You can stop by at 12 to drop your luggage off, but she won't even be done until 2.30 or 3. So I was like, I'll take it. I'll take the luggage drop off and we're going to go out and explore the city. But check it out. Airbnb is a great deal. Okay, so here we go. We're so you're there. We're there. Or have you got there yet? We're not there yet. I don't know. We're flying from Chicago, <laughs> Chicago to Philadelphia, Philadelphia on to uh, Paris. We leave Chicago at one thirty in the afternoon, and through like the change of the time zones, it ends up we land at like eight in the morning. Well, it's about. 10, 11 hours of total travel time to go to Philadelphia in there. And you're like, you should be tired, but you're excited. You're running on adrenaline, right? So like you're landing at 830 in the morning. Do not go to your hotel room. Do not sit and try and take a nap. Like jet lags, number one enemy is being active. So just start your day. And when you fly overseas, they serve you a meal and they serve you a snack beforehand. So they served us dinner. And they turn the lights off in the plane for three hours, which no one's going to sleep because you're all excited. And then they serve you a light breakfast and you're ready to roll. Just start your day. Now, we're landing at Charles de Gaulle Airport. Paris has three airports. Charles de Gaulle is the main one. And as soon as you land, you're like, Dorothy, we are not in Kansas anymore because everything's French and they're all speaking French. And you are the awkward American, right? 
wrong. Like everything's in French, but everyone wants to help you. So that's the first stigma I'm going to break right now on the show is Parisians are snooty and they look down upon Americans. We did not experience that in the least. Everybody there wanted to help you. And if you don't know French, if you don't know if you don't know mercy and if you don't know you know you know any words uh uh you know you know you know uh, you're you're good learn 10 words learn hello learn 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 bienvenue which is welcome learn 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 10 words and try and if you can't you can point and you could use your finger gesture like like one two three now lisa she did speak french for four years and she's traveled to france before she knows french but she hasn't like been fluent in it for years but everybody wants to help you we never felt in the entirety of the trip that anybody in paris that was a worker in a store cafe uh patisserie anyone was trying to take advantage of us at all zero and like you know me like i'm chicago accented like like joe american from chicago they couldn't have been more welcoming and more kind to us and that is like the first reality is like they're not snooty. Of course, I mean, it, people are people. You go anywhere, you're going to find bad people. You're going to find good people. Search the good, not the bad. But we never felt out of place. So was that ever a concern of yours? Was you would feel out of place in like a foreign country, buddy? Uh, maybe. And let me ask you this. Um, you, I know that you'll probably get into it. And you kind of talked about the uh, the cell phone usage and, and data and all of that. So does that make it impossible then to use like Google Translate uh, at times? Because down here, I mean, I deal with that a lot. A lot of the customers that I have at my other part time job at a grocery store, um, I'm dealing with people who do not speak English. Most of the people in our store are tourists. And most of them um, are those called flirt- Floridians? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was bad. That was dirty of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> honest, to, honest to goodness, the people that shop in our store, most of them are shopping in our store one time or two times during their trip, and that's it. So they don't know where anything is, and uh, they don't know what anything's called sometimes. Yeah. So they'll use Google Translate a lot, and that kind of helps us out where you know they can type in the word, and then they show me the picture, or it'll translate it for them, and we kind of communicate that way. Is, is that an option there, or did you run into snags with your data in the cell phone? Michael, I give you a kiss on the head. You answered a great question here. So – this is the reality. If you have a cell phone plan in America, there's a really good chance that it doesn't work in in Europe. Now, there are some that do have international calls and whatnot. So I have T-Mobile and Metro PCS, um, and nothing worked other than Wi-Fi connectivity. So once you were connected to a Wi-Fi in a cafe or as it happened to be in an apartment, you had connectivity and access to you know the internet and uh you could use like texting and like Skype is a life send a uh, godsend because you can't you you can't call i mean you can't make phone calls through what you have to use an internet like like calling service so make sure you download Skype so my daughter Lucille downloaded a translate app that's usable offline search that out it's easy and as soon as you pull up like Google Maps or you know Apple Map or whatever you want to use even in offline mode it still conducts through GPS and it still gives you your north, south, east, west representation in terms of a compass. So when you pull the map open 
it's still going to remember like the streets of Paris and show you your approximate GPS location. So you're never going to get lost as long as you have your cell phone map, even offline. And they have offline translate services. But again, this is not like you're going to the remote valleys of Nepal. This is Paris. And what we learned was legitimately like almost every Parisian we met knew a little bit of English, which is funny because like I know I barely know English and I can't speak it correctly. As you all know from 200 plus episodes, they all spoke fluent French. A lot of them spoke Spanish. A lot of them spoke Italian and a lot of them spoke English. And so the number of bilingual people apparently to me in like Paris is like a hundred percent of Parisians. They all understood what you wanted. And the food isn't all that unique. Like when you went to the grocery store, it's not hard to tell what's cheese, what's milk, what's cereal. A lot of the same brands are made with, I mean, you do the best you can. And you know, that's part of the adventure when you travel to Europe is get lost and like, buy something you wouldn't recognize and see what it is, you know, and try it. Like go to the candy aisle. And you know, it's like, I have no idea what that is, what the Belisto candy bar is, but I'm trying it. And it's like, like all of a sudden you're like, you found like your new favorite candy bar. So don't be afraid to make mistakes, but download an offline translator app. You literally take a picture. It takes the script of words and it translates it over to American. And in many places in Paris, French, English right underneath it. So you don't have to worry about that either. So it's cool. Charles de Gaulle Airport is very difficult to navigate. So what we made a mistake, and beforehand, let's go back for a second. You probably aren't even aware of this as an American. Not many people are. But in Paris right now, there's something called the Paris Metro Strike or the Paris Workers Strike. And I don't know if you're aware of it. So through the center of Paris, the major form of transportation is... The metro and the metro is the underground railroad and it looks like a grid you've probably seen those like color grids for like the london underground paris has the same thing and it literally circumnavigates the city left right east north south it's it's everywhere it looks like like a giant beautiful colored map underneath the city of paris with the exception that now they're on strike and we didn't take that in consideration enough which means the major form of transportation in paris is completely knocked out except for the one line and the 14 line, which runs all day. The other lines in Paris had unique hours of operation. Like it was very civil. They went on strike and they went on strike to cooperate still and get the workers to and from work. So it operated from like six to nine and from like four to six. But anything in the middle of that, there was no operation for any of these lines in Paris. You're like, okay, well, that's cool. Take an Uber. Yeah, but you don't got cell phone service. You know, okay, try and figure out the bus lines when they're in French. Good luck. You know, like, like, like no way. So one looks of the, like you're walking. We are freaking walking. So you wait at Charles de Gaulle and you're like, okay, I can take the RER, which is another like form of transportation to the city center. But you're like, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. I got three kids. I got three bags. They're huge, like pain in the butt. So we contacted and I did a little search for shuttle from Paris, from Charles de Gaulle airport. And Super Shuttle, who I use in Disneyland, has a shuttle service from like 80 airports around the world. So I just simply arranged for a shuttle bus from Charles de Gaulle to our apartment and then back from our apartment on the day of like departure back to Charles de Gaulle. Total cost was about a hundred bucks, uh, $109. And that was American. And it sounds like a lot, but like when you think of like, you got five people and you're taking like 
Charles de Gaulle is not close to the city center. It's like 35 minutes by shuttle service, but it was safe. It was like almost direct. And, you know, it was, it was relatively easy to get. So I highly recommend super shuttle from Charles de Gaulle, unless you got like one backpack and you feel really adventurous and you're not vulnerable with like three kids in three major bags in a foreign city, in a foreign land, in a foreign language, trying to figure out where you're going, you know, make some things easy. And so Super Shuttle was my first experience. Got us to our apartment. From the outside in, you would look at the door and you're like, I am not staying in that sketchy apartment. But that's the beauty of Paris is every building you stay in in Florida, Michael, is like 30 years old, 20 years old, 70 years old. Every building in like the city center of Paris is like 200 years old, 300 years old. So the idea was it wasn't the front door that like should stop anybody. As soon as you type in the code on the automated like electronic keypad that was retrofitted on this heavy wooden door, you opened up into this beautiful courtyard. And that's the key. Like in Paris, every building is set back to a beautiful courtyard. And then you walk from the middle up. You don't walk from the front up. So the outside is merely the superficial, like the exterior gate of like a medieval castle. And as soon as you walked in, it was like, like, like the, uh, the courtyard from Romancing the Stone. Do you remember that movie where like they walk in and little Pepe's inside? Do you remember that at all? Have you seen the movie? I, I hadn't. Remember, we were we were going to watch that. Okay. But, yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen that one. As soon as you walk in, you're like, what the? F-? Like, like, where did this come from? So retrofitted to our apartment was a elevator up second floor, got the key, walked in, and it was just awesome. So again, contact me if you want the address. We're in our hotel, and we're like, let's just go out and let's just do things. So we go to the grocery store. We go and buy ourselves breakfast, and we step off at, like, bakeries and the first thing we noticed though in the entirety of the trip is the smell of paris paris has a distinctive smell and i'm gonna throw some things at you you're gonna think it sounds awful but like it like is tangible and you could feel it when you're there paris is a combination of perfume legitimately like it's not like a stereotype like perfume everybody smells like the newest perfume in paris mixed with cigarette smoke and you're like that's just awful but when you're there it's just different i I can't it's like the smell is like it embedded itself in my mind mixed with like fresh like patisserie kebabs uh um, escargot um pate cheese and like you throw it all in this weird pot and it's just it just it's it's paris like it it makes you like it you remember that smell everywhere you go and you're not like sickened by the smell of cigarette smoke i'm a non-smoker 44 years never has a cigarette touched my lips but like when you smell the smell of like secondhand smoke in paris it doesn't like make your skin curdle it's like you just accept that as part of paris culture and you move on i mean i know you're like probably thinking right now as you're listening that's gross it isn't. You have to just accept it as it is, as a European standard and not like your American standard and just move on. It, it won't ruin your trip. Now, you, as a smoker, you would probably be like, that doesn't sound so bad to me because I know, you know, as an ex-smoker, you fight every day to try and remain an ex-smoker. Right, buddy? Yeah, yeah. That's difficult. I, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, so what you're saying is it's kind of like the smoking area between Norway 
in China. Yeah, exactly. Because you've got that smell of the Norway perfume, pretty with much the cigarette smoke, and then some of the you know the bakery around there. Yeah, I could see it. Everyone smokes. Everyone smokes in 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 Europe. And, and, okay, that's obviously not correct, but like legitimately to us, like people eighteen, people eighty. People 40, drinking beer, drinking coffee, walking on the streets. Like, there are smokers everywhere. And, you know, like, it wasn't like the packages of cigarettes didn't say smoking kills. It did. It had warnings. But it's just, it's a different standard. It's a different way of, like, growing up and living. So, anyways, first day we're there. So, right in front of me here, I've got a map. We, we, um... Before we left Charles de Gaulle, too, I'll tell you, we bought a pass for a museum. This is probably the first really good tip someone could use. And after I talk about the map here. So you hear this crinkle? So in it is something called the Paris Museum Pass. Paris sells like the Paris City Pass, the Paris Pass, the Paris Museum Pass. Do your research ahead of time and figure out what you want to see. Again, this comes from Chris, the non-planner. Like I had to go in like document like 15 attractions I wanted to see great, I've got those attractions. And then you realize, well, cripes, if I paid individually for them, it's like 10 euros a person, or you buy this Paris Museum Pass. And it's included on this Paris Museum Pass. And you just show this pass at the gate, and you get in. So we were going to buy this before we left, right? We were going to send it to us uh, and in the state. So we had it because we're nervous about it. We're going to order five of them. Nay, nay. Anybody under the age of 18... In any of the museums in Paris, if you're an American, is free. So your kids mm. are free. So we would have spent useless money getting our kids Paris Museum passes, with the exception of the Eiffel Tower, which you needed to go and actually buy tickets for everybody, which was not included in the Paris Museum Pass. And the reason why is it's the freaking Eiffel Tower. When you go to Paris, you're going to the Eiffel Tower. It is the big gun of Paris. So they don't need to bundle it. They're going to get your money anyway. So Eiffel Tower is separate. It is not on a museum pass, on the Paris pass. It is completely separate. And if they do include it, it goes up to the first level. But you're in Paris, right? You're going to maybe make this once in your life. Go to the summit. Pay the money. And just forget about it. Don't go to the first level. Don't go to the second level where there's a restaurant or an observation tower. Or the first level is the restaurant. Go to the summit and pay the money. Anyways, Eiffel Tower not included. Pretty much everything else we did, with the exception of the catacombs on the last day, was included on this Paris Museum Pass. And when I list what we did, you'll be like crazy. You could buy it in two-day, four-day, or six-day usage and it gets you unlimited access to like 60 sites it's the museum pass not the paris pass the paris pass itself contains like you can get transportation you can get like a boat cruise and a hop on hop off like double decker bus but you realize the transportation doesn't help me because there's no freaking transportation running in paris right now and we're going to see all the sites i don't need the boat cruise we're going to literally walk next to i'm going to touch you know the pillars at at, at the conciergerie in Saint Chapelle. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel it. I don't need to see it by boat. I, I'm gonna see it by hand. So this was the least expensive option, but it was an awesome option. It was like 60 euros for four consecutive days for me and Lisa because the kids were free everywhere. Kids under 18 are free. Hang on, I need to get some coffee. I'm getting parched here. Hang on one second. I'm, I'm talking so much. Um, well, I'm gonna tell you what you need to look out for though is Jacques. 
Paris Pass for Americans. That's true. Do not buy Jacques Paris Pass for Americans. But anyways, the cool thing about this, though, is it's four consecutive days. So here's my brainstorm, right? Lease, before we leave for vacation, let's do this. Let's mix a day of museums and a day of Disney, right? We're going to go and buy three days at Disney. We're going to intermix them, and the kids won't get burnt out. So on the very first day, we go down. We're there. We go and buy our passes, and all of a sudden, they tell us... Yeah, that RER train, it doesn't leave from this station and it only leaves between X and X time and you got to get on the train by six o'clock to be back home. So legitimately at our first day, my whole spreadsheet out the freaking window, it was gone and I just got punched in the mouth and all of a sudden, like all my planning was for not. So we had to do a quick reboot because we can't intermix because our transportation out to Paris, to Disneyland Paris was not running. And it was our first like wah wah of the trip. And I'm like in a state of like a cold sweat. I'm like, holy cripes, I'm in Paris. I can't get to the park. And I've committed to three days times five people. You do the math on that. It's it's a spicy meatball, you know? And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, okay, before I go and do something stupid and take an Uber at $180, let me go back home. Let me go and plan this day and I'll regroup. So obviously now we're not going to intermix the days. The Disneyland portion of the trip, spoiler, is towards the end of the trip. The Paris portion, Paris portion of the trip, all ended up front loaded into the into the vacation because we had to figure out how we were going to get there. Right. So, if you're looking for the Disneyland portion of the trip, it's coming, just not quite yet. So, we stayed in the second arrondissement, which is really close to the city center. I talked to a friend of mine yesterday, uh, Jeff Positano, and he's potentially planning a trip. If you went and put your finger on the Louvre and just identify the Louvre as the center of Paris, all right, right off the Seine River, and you drew a circle that was two miles in every direction around the map, you would cover like 90% of the attractions in, in Paris. So I highly recommend if you're staying, make use of your time. Do not stay in the 18th arrondissement way north or like the 14th or whatever the case is. Find something as much as you can afford as close to the city center as possible because Paris is a completely walkable city. You could fold up Paris and put it inside of Walt Disney World proper and it would fit in terms of like all of the attractions you'll want to see. Now you're not seeing Normandy and you're not seeing the gardens of Versailles and you're not seeing Disneyland, but like all the major attractions, the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, the Musée d'Orsay, the Pompidou Center, you're fitting them all in the center of Paris and it's all walkable, but it requires like 20,000 steps a day. So walkable is a relative point. So ready to go, ready to, ready to experience. I'm just going to list these things out. Day one, we go to the subway and we figure out we can't go to Disneyland. So we go back and we're like, all right, let's just start a museum. We go visit the palace of justice. We go visit, um, we go visit the conciergerie, which is where Marie Antoinette was held before she was, which it, it was like, it's a beautiful palace slash prison before she was, had her head chopped off. We visit Saint Chapelle, which has these beautiful, like 50, 100 foot floor to ceiling stained glass windows. And I want to make my first note here. In the entirety of the trip, the thing that caught me the most, Michael, was the churches of Paris and the basilicas and the cathedrals. Now, I'm not like a religious dude. Like, like I go to church as much as I possibly can. And I'm a, I'm a Catholic. 
I go to church as much as I can. We have nothing in Chicago that looks like anything in Paris. When you walked into our first church, which was located, it was called St. Eustache, right by our Airbnb, you walked in and you looked on the outside and it had flying buttresses, which is an architectural feature. And it's, you know, this, this, this Lucian stone, which is this stone that like a lot of the buildings are built in Paris because they harvested it from like the catacombs. You're like, yeah, it's a church. Let's go look inside. And as soon as you walk in, like your mind, like you literally say, holy sh! as you look at 200 foot peaks of ceilings with like these architectural inlays and gold like inlays it's almost indescribable how beautiful the churches saint chapelle saint sulpice the basilica of sacre coeur even like when you look at the outside of notre dame and like saint eustache when you look at these churches and i know you're like that shouldn't get like your like your, like your blood boiling it's indescribable you almost get goosebumps and to think how do they construct this church that's 600 years old, by the way, with like no computers, no architectural blueprints, like no ability to have anything other than like ropes and like homemade winches and like dollies moving these heavy stones. It is awe inspiring and like jaw dropping and like the beauty of like the stained glass windows and like the gold inlay of like the altars and stuff. It is everything you've ever wanted to know about a European vacation if you go into a church in Paris or London or Rome, it is unbelievable. And it was the highlight of my trip. And I'm not like, like a super religious dude. Like I'm not going to go and like, uh, you know, I, you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like it was yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's churches in St. Augustine, even at that, you know, age that put me in all. It really is. And I think it's because that a lot of the art and everything can be kind of combined into the church. You know, a lot of the art at the time, the architecture, the different things are kind of put into place in these churches. So I can completely understand what you're saying. The first moment you walked in, so you have videos of St. Eustache and you have videos of St. Chapelle and you have videos of St. Sulpice. The first moment you walk in, you cannot help but to look up and like in your mind, you're in a church and you're literally swearing like, holy mother, as you walk into these places, because it's that unbelievably cool. And like, but there's services going on and there are people singing and like the smell of like the candles and the incense and the history as you touch like the cement pillars and the stone pillars. Like, I swear to God, it gives you goosebumps on your arm. It, it it will literally give you goosebumps and it will make you say like like it's the like 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 the angel singing moment of your head like every video you've ever seen about Europe this is it this is what it is so when you're there even if you're no consider yourself religious go see these churches and San Chapelle we saw that day it's smaller but it's gorgeous and San Sulpice and the Pantheon which was actually you know it's 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 not so much a church as it is a place of like religious observation i know it sounds different go see the altar at uh the Hotel du Invalide which is where Napoleon's buried oh my heavens like unbelievable so anyways first day we walked by the uh the burned you know uh facade of notre dame which looks still largely intact other than the wood uh roof and they're rebuilding that that's their that is their well i mean it is their religious 
center of of France and frankly of Europe. So it's going to be rebuilt. It's going to take some time. We walk by the Pompidou, which is the uh, modern arts center. We um, we went into all these, uh, the Pantheon, the Conciergerie Saint Chapelle, the Palace of Justice, um, just gorgeous. So everything here, this is all uh, like like the first day, um, Isle St. Louis, the Saint-Sulpice, uh, the Cluny Museum, which is where they had Roman baths, went to a Starbucks because, well, frankly, I needed to get my American coffee. And here's, a, here's something. There's no K-cup machine in Paris. There's no K-cup machine in France. They use Nespresso or they like to use a water-soluble coffee. You open the packet, pour the coffee grounds in, it dissolves, and that is what it is. Now, they have coffee cafes and whatnot and espresso machines, but like when you're a consumer and you buy at a grocery store, you can't find a K-cup machine anywhere. They use Nespresso, just so you know. Mm-hmm. On the way home, we got caught after like eight hours of sightseeing, and I've just warped through them. I hardly even described like Saint-Chapelle's beauty or the Palace of Justice's gold inlay. It's just I, it, the Pantheon's height is incredible. You can't even imagine it. We walked by this giant conflagration of people in a square and little did we know we walked into the protests of the paris workers strike so you have video of that all of a sudden on the street you have guys like chanting and like unions on the street and it was it was just fun being an american standing on the side and watching this in no way was it violent in no way was it something that you would see in the States where there's potential for eruption. Now, the mm. gendarme was there in full riot gear, allowing them their freedom to protest, but also being there with their wampum sticks on the sidelines, making <laughs> sure nothing got out of line. In no way did I ever feel at all that my 14-year-old or my 7-year-olds were in danger. Yet, like I wanted them to see that. I wanted them to hear that and like experience like something that was authentic because we're Disney fans, but in our heart, we know we're in the world showcase. It is the idealistic view of what Paris is. This is as, you know, as, as thick and as full of life as you could possibly get. So we stayed and we watched like 20 minutes of protest. And then we walked through the protest to get to our resort, uh, our resort. I'm sorry. Our, our apartment never once did we feel unsafe. And it was like awesome to like feel their plight, and they were mad at, at Emile Macron, at the president. So like you were like welcome to attend. It was it's different than like an American protest. If you heard of like an American protest for like something in like Chicago or New York, stay away because that has the potential at any point to be something catastrophically horrific. Or really beneficial, but you never know. Over there, I never felt like it was going to turn catastrophic for one second. So um, that's day one. Uh, the first thing we also learned about day one was um, go grocery shopping, pick up breakfast. Breakfast is the easiest thing to possibly store in your if you're trying to save money or time. Um, you know, you can have Pop-Tarts, cereal, milk, and you're good to go. Not every meal was going to be super authentic Parisian. Not every meal was going to be like, okay, we need to go to this cafe and we need to sit down and, and, and drink our coffee. And it wasn't going to be like that. It's, I got a seven-year-old, I got 14-year-olds. That menu wasn't going to fly for every meal. But on every street in Paris, they have a boulangerie, a patisserie. Get croissants, get pain du chocolat, get get apple tarts, get get everything you can possibly get your hands on, and forget the calories, 
because you're on vacation, you know, and you're walking 20,000 steps a day. Michael, I couldn't possibly consume enough food to keep like weight on on this vacation. When you're like cold and you're shivering and you're walking 20,000 steps, you could legitimately eat anything you want and you won't gain weight. It's good, you know, so go to every bakery, every patisserie and, and just buy, just start pointing and pulling out euros. Like you're like the big shooter. And like, it's like the best part of the trip is like eating fresh Parisian bakery. It's just wonderful. And you know, that would be a question that I, that I would want to ask. And this is just, this goes along with my anxiety that we've covered before, but a lot of our anxiety when we're on vacation revolves around food. It revolves around where we find it. Um, how much is it going to cost? Um, you know, is there going to be anything that the boys would, you know, would like to eat? Uh, I have, a tendency, well, we kind of all have this tendency, but I'm the worst, me and Jordan, of once the day is done and we've walked these 20,000 steps, we like to have something to eat before we turn in. Um, I know it's the complete wrong way to do things, but it's what we do. So when we're on vacation, a lot of times, you know, here in the States, you can find a McDonald's open or you could find a, I don't know, a rallies or a white, something to grab before you go back to your hotel or before you go back to your room. Um, even at Disney, there's, there's options. Uh, when I think of that's why cruises are so like, I love cruises so much because my food is already planned. I know when I'm eating what I'm eating. I don't have to stress about that at all. So when I think about a trip to Paris or I think about a trip to any place that I'm not completely familiar with, I have, anxiety about food uh, and about, you know, where we're going to eat and how we're going to fight about where we're going to eat. So how did that play out okay. in your trip? Great questions. And I could see this is going to be a two-part show because I just won't shut my mouth, but great questions. They have Subways. They have McDonald's and Burger King. As a matter of fact, the first thing we ate on that first day was a Burger King because we felt like since the kids were walking around, if we go to a Parisian cafe and we're like, here, let's have this fabulous meal. And my 14-year-old daughter, who is a picky eater, or my 7-year-old daughter, who isn't as picky but still can be fickle, don't enjoy their lunch. Like, I'm setting myself up for, like, super failure here. Like, I need to get them food. So we went to a McDonald's. Uh, I'm sorry, a Burger King. And, like, I have no guilt about that. Yeah, we supplemented that with Nutella crepes and, and croissants. But, like, there's there's those things. Go to a bakery and like, or a supermarket. In every supermarket or every bakery, they sell ham sandwiches and sub sandwiches and like um, uh, a cheese, you know, uh, uh, a croque monsieur, which is like a grilled cheese with cheese on top and a ham and cheese inside. They sell. I mean, it's not so weird. It's not like uh, like like goat liver sandwiches. Like they sell things that like are completely cool. We we enjoyed Paris cuisine. We never ate escargot which is snail. So I would try it. I just didn't do it. And we never had anything that we felt was like crazy. Um, we had burger joints. Uh, we ate Thai food, which we happen to love Thai food. There's Mexican places. There's kebabs and falafel locations. There's pizza. There's everything you could want. And nothing was intimidating, though you could get as adventurous as you wanted, or you can be as chill as mainstream as, you know, I mean, we, we, we got pasta and sauce and bread and salad and brought it home one day and cooked it for dinner. So, but like, if you want like Mickey D's or Subway, McDo, uh, you, you can get that over there and 
not like freak out about it. It's cool. It's, it's, it's very similar. So yeah, it, don't be intimidated by that. And some that you're concerned about being anxious towards that is valid. If you've got picky eaters, it can be tough, but even at a bakery, walk into the bakery, just look everything in the bakery, unless you've got a gluten allergy or like a peanut allergy, just start looking at what looks like great. Like I was, that's my favorite memory. Like I have the habit of doing that when I go to like bakeries or like stores like that, I walk in like, like I'm going to own this place. And I just start pointing it before I know it. I don't even know how many I've ordered and I've had to pay like 17 euros because I've got like 12 things in the bag. It's cool. You're not going to enjoy every of them, all of them, but you're going to enjoy a lot of them. And then you're going to figure out what you do like for next time. So no point for stress, completely cool. Uh, snacks are normal, uh, chips. It's easy to figure out which is salt and vinegar, which is barbecue, which is regular chips. It's easy to figure out pretzels, cookies, uh, butter cookies, all good. You know, it's all good over there. It's, it's not a point for stress or to keep you awake at night at all. You'll find something you'll like, I promise. And so with the boys. Awesome. Go ahead. So, uh, yeah, I was going to say what the next thing that I want to ask you about is the weather, because I saw you bundled up quite a bit. Yes. Um, and uh, especially I think there was a day at your Disneyland uh, vacation where you were all pretty much bundled up. I don't know if the weather was like that the entire time. Or, um, can you just speak of the weather? Um, and if you think that this was a good time to visit or do you think that you would have had a better time had it been warmer or do you think that that didn't? play into it at all okay go check out things i love which is mark eddington's youtube channel so he went to disneyland paris back in november it was 49 degrees which obviously you know we use fahrenheit they use celsius but it was 49 degrees uh for fahrenheit over there and um it was probably 10 degrees colder the entire time about 40 degrees though one day was close to 30 but it was sun was out. It never really affected us except for one day at the Walt Disney Studios Park when it was at freezing. It was 32 degrees, rainy, windy, and cold and like cloudy. And not going to lie, that day sucked. That day sucked to high heaven. It made me regret that day, like leaving the apartment. But everything else, you're moving and it's good. Like the next day we were at the Eiffel Tower and we went up to the top. And it was cold. Like it was like 35 degrees, 40 degrees and blustery, but it was sunny, but not enough to make you like not want to go. I mean, I know you guys are from Florida, but you guys are from Ohio too as well. So, you know, cold weather, it wasn't ever like Chicago cold. If you are traveling and you think come to Chicago at Christmas time or like January, February, and you are not used to cold weather, you are going to get punched in the rocks because Chicago has this way of being like 30 degrees, 30 degrees, four degrees, four degrees. And like, like it, it completely ruins your desire to travel. This was never less than like 32, 35, 40 degrees, completely manageable the entirety of the trip. Dress smart, you know, wear layers, wear two, wear a t-shirt, your sweatshirt, and maybe a vest and your coat and you're good dress in layers wear your hat and your gloves everyone's wearing their hat gloves um everyone's got a scarf except your old buddy chris chris did not wear a scarf but i am buying a scarf because the europeans have it so i'm gonna have a scarf from this point <laughs> forward um not so bad it really wasn't you just you just accept it as it is and bear in mind it was way colder where we came from than where we ended up so to us it was like cool you know not so bad yeah, I, I could see that. We, 
Our issue would be uh, Cameron doesn't like to, I I always say this, he likes to wear shorts. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like to wear long pants. So whenever we go anywhere, he's a Florida baby. I mean, he's a Florida kid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's been rare occasions to where he can wear pajama pants. He'll wear those around the house all the time. But when we go out, no long pants. It's like short, short, shorts. Um, And we went to D.C. last Christmas and it was a little chilly walking around at times. And and I just was thinking, man, looking at my Florida child trying to navigate. You know, Jordan was fine. He grew up until age nine in Ohio. He he was used to sledding and, you know, yeah. wearing the gear and everything else. But I, you know, that is a concern sometimes. And and I think that I don't know why, but I think we kind of automatically attach vacations with warmth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't maybe that's because a lot of times that's when we go on vacation is either during summers when it's naturally warm almost everywhere or, you know, the fact that we we like to go places like beaches and things like that. Um, but I just remember that uh, and, and I kind of liken going to Paris and you're going to probably slap me virtually through the computer. But to me, the best thing that I have is DC because it's historical and you're walking everywhere and there's a lot of sites and a lot of things to, to see you're ducking into buildings, you Mm -hmm. know, occasionally and, and ducking out and, and just kind of the times in between are when you're really out in the elements. So I think it's doable. I was just curious how that affected. And really when we get to Disneyland, um, that to me is kind of a strange thing because I'm trying to think to myself, if it was 34 degrees here, how many people would be at the magic kingdom? I mean, we would have the run of the place. I've got, I've got, I've got good stories about that. So let let me do this. Let me just wrap up day two or day three. And then what I'm going to do is after those, I think we're going to bring this show to a close and then we will do our Disneyland on the next one because I know we're running long. So, but here's what I would say about pants. You haven't found the right pants yet for him. And so when you like think of your mind, like Parisian, like culture and like French culture, you're thinking everyone's got these pointy shoes and they're not gym shoes. And everyone's got these, these, these really expensive jackets and these really expensive Gucci sunglasses. And it's not true. It simply isn't true. Like I walked around, I have work pants. I have really nice clothes for work because of my job. So I have like Oakley pants and I, but they're very comfortable. I also have Adidas three-line track pants that I wear everywhere because, frankly, I'm a dad, you know, and I could get away with that. And it's almost like wearing shorts, but the long version of shorts, try try that. I mean, it's like pajama pants. And you know what? It's cool. People accept you for what you are. There was never, like I said, any time that anyone looked down upon us. And I'm wearing my dub shirt, taking pictures, you know, and I, I mean, I've got my NASA hat on, which is about as American as it gets. And you know what? It is what it is. But you're not the only American visiting Paris. There's there's a lot of you. <laughs> there's a lot of people over there dressed just like you. And, you know, there are a lot of Europeans that are traveling wearing gym shoes and jeans and vests and it just is what it is. Be comfortable. And you don't have to dress uncomfortably. Um, go as yourself and don't worry about it. You know, just make sure you're dressed with enough layers to protect yourself. And here's the, the, the next key is based on its location, like Florida, it is a climate where there's a lot of condensation in the air. So I would not recommend like an exterior fleece. Wear a coat that not is necessarily waterproof, like water resistant. 
water repellent in some way because you are going to get a little mist or it just feels like damp every day. And that's like Florida or, or, or England in its, in its entirety. But anyways, day two, um, we took an Uber to get to the Eiffel Tower, went up to the top of the Eiffel Tower. This, it's just, it's stunning. The scope of that building, the scope of the structure is, I can't, I, I, if I describe it to you, my words would fail. It's indescribable how big, how vast, how thick, how strong it is, and the views it gives you. It's completely worth whatever the cost is to get to the top of the Eiffel Tower. We walked from there. Uh, we walked along the Seine. We um, we ended up at, uh, let me see here, we ended up at the Louvre that day. So the Louvre, world's biggest, or it might actually be number two to the Hermitage of St. Petersburg in Russia, world's biggest like art museum, um, one of the best museums in the world. But you've got kids, so realize that you're going to only spend about two hours there, maybe three hours, because you simply have kids and they're not going to enjoy the Louvre like you think they're going to enjoy the Louvre. So go see Winged Victory, go see Aphrodite, go see the Mona Lisa. And you almost feel vulgar walking through that place because as you walk through like the long hallways, you are passing up artwork that's not even to be described in terms of value, in terms of monetary value or historical significance. And you're giving it about two seconds of your time because you're onto the next piece because they have a hundred thousand pieces of art and you can't capture all of them. There are three wings and even doing one wing, both the upstairs and the downstairs of like the Denon wing, which, which is where the Mona Lisa's at, it's about two hours of your time. You know what? It's cool. You saw a part of the Louvre. You didn't experience the entirety of the Louvre. If you have kids, you aren't going to experience the entirety of the Louvre. And if you do, you're going to have a revolt at the end of the day. So take in what you can and don't worry about what you missed. Like enjoy it for what it really is. Cool thing about the Louvre, Michael, is you see artwork that is like the Mona Lisa, which is equivalent to like, oh, maybe like a two foot by two foot print uh, or, or oil painting across the way from it. There is a painting that's about 30 feet tall by about 50 feet wide that must have taken somebody 10 years getting about four eyes on it while this little small Mona Lisa has 100,000 eyes on it and people are shoulder to shoulder staring at this tiny painting while all these fabulous pieces of art from Caravaggio and it gets no looks and no love whatsoever so you almost feel vulgar walking through it saying yeah that's that's nice all right on to the next one and you're like hmm holy cripes, I just passed up seeing like the world's masters and like you have to almost pinch yourself and thinking like, did I just really see that? Did I internalize that? And like the answer is, well, no, you didn't because you're trying to get through as much as possible. But we saw the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre on the same day. Awesome experience. Again, grocery shopping pretty much every day because we were like, let's save money and have a lunch, a dinner or a breakfast. So, but we never knew quite how much to buy. It is what it is. Um, we went to uh, the Pompidou Center in the evening, which is, again, uh, we, we walked by it the first day, but we went to it. The Modern Art Museum, really fabulous modern art, really cool. Go and check it out. It's got like these bizarre abstract paintings, and it was more fun for the kids to see the Pompidou Center than for them to see the Louvre, which art is art. You know, you enjoy it for what it is. If If you smile, if it makes your eye like happy, which is a weird phrase, it's art, and it's cool. Like, like, enjoy it for what it is. If it catches your eye because it's dark and dramatic, cool. If it's happy, bright, vibrant, squiggly lines, cool. If it's sculptures, cool. 
I swear my kids never saw so many naked body parts as on this trip. If it wasn't every like painting of like a naked Roman woman or man or like a sculpture, but it's European and it's European standards. And you know what? The kids are really cool about it. Never one time were they laughing. Even when we went to spoiler here, we actually walked to Moulin Rouge and we walked through Pigalle, which is the red light district to get to Sacre Coeur, where you're literally passing. And I'll describe this later on sex shop after sex shop, after sex shop, after sex shop. And you're seeing like these unique things in quotation marks in the windows. And like, it just, you know what? It's a European standard. So we told the kids, we prepped them and said, this is what you're going to see. You know what? It is what it is. If you have any questions, ask me questions, but uh, I don't want to hear stupid questions. Let's move along, you know? So you literally see that in, 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 in Paris, not frequently, but it's more common than in America, obviously. Um, day three, we, uh, we actually took the Metro one line at Arc de Triomphe. Uh, we went shopping on the Champs-Élysées. Lisa bought a watch from the Swatch store that was a, a Parisian exclusive watch. Um, we went to see where Napoleon was buried at the Hotel du Invalid. The word hotel in Paris, it doesn't necessarily mean hotel. It could be a place that was a hospital. It could be a hotel. It could be a church. It could be a museum. So the word hotel does not mean what you think it means in Paris. So don't be caught by looking at something that says, oh, that's the hotel do. It's not. It could be a museum. So don't be dismayed by that. So that's up to like day three or four here. Day four. Let me go get my map. Hang on. I got one more day. We can rifle through quickly here. Uh, we went to... Um, let me see here. Did I do that? Nope. That's, that's the first three days. Then we did the next three in Disneyland Paris. So this is a good place to stop. Are you cool with that? Do you mind if we stop right here? No, that works for me. Okay. Do you have any questions from anything so far? Um, you had mentioned earlier, you had mentioned knowing what to do if there's a health issue. And you had mentioned that you had spreadsheets and that you had researched it. What information did you have there? Is this something you can quickly go through of what, how you would prepare if something were to happen medically or um, anything that you needed to cover with your insurance provider before you left or anything like that. Ah, uh, okay. So first off, you said quickly and quickly and Chris, <laughs> do not, do not actually go in the same sentence, but, but yes. Okay. So here's what we learned. So that's like a valid concern. You got food poisoning. All right. You, this is, this is weird. You, you get hit by a car. You, you sprain your ankle. You fall down a step. What are you going to do? You're an American with Blue Cross and Blue Shield in Paris where like you're hoping to find a hospital. And by the way, it might be called hotel. You know, (laughs) what are you going to do? So the first thing you do is go pull out your insurance card and call the back of your insurance card and call them up and describe what's going to happen in your life. And by the way, other tips here, call your credit card company, make sure they know that you are going to Europe because there's a chance if you don't, they're going to deny your card. You in a foreign country with no credit card equals no bueno. You know what I'm saying? So call your credit card company and make sure they're aware you're going to Europe. That's super duper important. Call your insurance company. Oh, and by the way, they don't take American Express like hardly anywhere in, in Paris, France. MasterCard and Visa is like the card of choice. We pulled out that American Express blue card so many times and like they looked at us like we were, well, we're foreigners. <laughs> they were like, nope. So... MasterCard and Visa, American Express got denied everywhere. 
All right. Blue Cross Blue Shield, we called them. They said, okay, here, call this number. It's the Global Care Service Center. So we called this Global Care Service Center, which is a part of Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And they're like, okay, we've made a note on your list. So here's what you do. If you have an emergency, you can go to any hotel, I'm sorry, any hospital in Paris. <laughs> any hotel. Any hotel, you know. Um, and they're going to treat you. And we will figure out how to get this paid. And the same things apply. That's a great answer. I'm sorry. Yes. That just seems like a, it is. I don't know. It's sketchy. And the reason I even thought about this is I have a good friend, Mark, whose dad went, they went to Germany and the dad suffered a stroke and he was over in Germany in a German hotel, a German hospital for like three months recovering from this stroke. And I thought to myself, okay, first off, they're not going to mortgage their future getting this guy. I mean, Healthcare is healthcare. They have to be able to figure out how to get this paid. They can't all of a sudden say, hey, that was really crappy luck. Here's your bill for $200,000. Good luck paying it. You know, they there there has to be a way this works. So once you call them up and they're aware of it, they're like, here you go. Go to any hospital. They're going to get you treated. There are English-speaking hospitals, but they're in the suburbs. But even if you go to a major hospital, again, don't be concerned. People in Paris speak English. They're going to get you treated. They will work with Blue Cross and Blue Shield because it's a global company and they have connections to other European insurances. So don't freak out. Now, if you've got something like you go over there and your your kid Cameron's got an ear infection, they gave us a number of doctors that they've worked with in the past that have easier financial connections. Like, okay, we've already submitted forms. We know how to get paid from them. And if your kid has an ear infection... As much as it's going to pain me to tell people this, it isn't an emergency. You have time to figure out what your plan of attack is on that. You don't need to go to an emergency room. If your kid wakes up and he's crying and he's got this red air and he's pulling on his ear and he's saying he's miserable and he's got a fever, okay, you have time. But the chances of you finding this when you're in Paris is not good. Research this before you left, before you leave. So I've got a list here of one, two, three, four, five, six, eight physicians in our arrondissement which is our neighborhood, that have worked with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Easy peasy. You know, you've got to go and just figure out when they're open. They also have hotels, based on your proximity, of what's open and the hours of operation and their phone numbers where you can go and get your kids treated. Or should something happen to you, they have connections. But you've got to make them aware you're taking that trip. It will reassure your mind and print this stuff out before you leave. Get your list of physicians that have connections already and figure out where the hospitals are located in terms of your proximity. There is connections. It's not like you're over there. I mean, who would ever travel to Mexico, to, to, to Europe, to, you know, to Brazil if like you couldn't get healthcare? You know what I'm saying? So it does exist. Don't freak out. Don't panic. You know, um, and because we're America, everything costs more. You know, you go to Canada, you go to Europe. Doctor's visits, even if you didn't have insurance, Michael, and you had to have a doctor come to your room and give you a house call, like in America, that would be staggeringly expensive. In Paris, it's between 40 to 70 euros to have that happen. Money, but not like backbreaking money. You know, so even if you don't have insurance, you can get treated. You can go to a doctor and they have pharmacies. Now, the pharmacies can dispense medication, pretty much independent pharmacies on every street. It's a green plus sign. That's a pharmacy. 
They can dispense medication, but they can't prescribe it. You have to go to a doctor. But don't panic about walking into a doctor's office and saying, I have no insurance. My kid has... You're going to see the bill, and you're going to think they're going to... They're going to I mean, it's going to be $5,000 like it would be in the States. It's going to be 70 euros, you know, and you're going to move on. They're going to prescribe your kid the French version of amoxicillin, and you're good, you know, and you'll be treated. Don't panic. It's not something that's insurmountable. But but call your insurance company if you have it. And if you don't, go and pull up a list of French physicians or Parisian physicians, um, comma, arrondissement six, arrondissement two, and you're going to get a list of people. It's 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 something that can be, be resolved. Good. All right. Good. I think that, that's good for the first. I, I'm, I'm excited to get into the Disneyland Paris uh, stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's good for this episode, I think. Awesome. So, again, if you have any questions so far, and I I apologize, there wasn't a lot of Disney in this one, but this is a trip that, like you said, if you want to see Disneyland Paris, this is the most attainable overseas trip because it's reasonable in cost. And if you live on the East Coast or the middle of the country, simply going to Hong Kong or Tokyo or Shanghai, it may not be feasible, practical, or financially responsible to go there. But Paris is a little more easily attainable. So it's coming, I promise. And it's worthwhile because I got some great tips. Like, do you know there are attractions in Disneyland Paris that completely blow away, obliterate anything we have in the States? Completely obliterate in terms of quality. And there are attractions that legitimately may be the worst I've ever been on. And it's a mix of both in 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 those parks. (laughs) <laughs> I'm excited to hear about that. All right. So again, Ed Cott is our Facebook group. The WW Review is our Facebook page. Contact us if you have any questions. Uh, Michael, my friend, is going to have a lot of these videos on the Theme Park Brothers. Correct, buddy? Yes. We're going to try to figure out. I'm going to navigate through, and we're going to figure out how to best dispense them so we can show it to everybody. But uh, yeah, they'll be over at Theme Park Brothers for sure. Okay, so um, join us again for part two. It's coming up with Disneyland Paris and our last day of Paris. Um, I should have said bonjour when we started off, but I'm going to say merci for you know thanking you for sticking with us. This is Chris, and this is my buddy Michael. Have a great day, everybody. Catch you on the flippity-flop. <laughs> <laughs>